Sometimes broken records are good. Sometimes they are not. How does that apply to Oregon? Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, please, if you haven't already, wherever you're listening to or watching this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, helping you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster and for free. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash College. That's LinkedIn.com slash College to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. A broken record is something that plays the same sound over and over and over again. I, I think we all know that, or at least I hope we do. And if you didn't before, well, now you know. And that's why I use that particular analogy. On the one hand for Oregon, that's good news. And on the other hand, it's not as good news, but also not terrible news. Because this game against Colorado was... About what I expected. I believe my score prediction was 52 to 10, 52 to 13, somewhere in there. Pretty darn good. Not close enough, though. I'm sorry. I'll resign hosting the show because I didn't get it exactly right against the Buffs. But let's start with the offense. Kenny Dillingham was like a magician because he was deep into his bag of tricks in this game. Now, landing in the postgame press conference had some interesting comments about how a number of those plays. That, that were called throughout the course of the game. Not not the Noah Sewell one, probably, because that's a, a design package. But the Connerly touchdown is a play that they've had inserted prior to this week, and Bo is just checking what he's seeing. He's reading the defense. He's saying, this is what we want. This is not what we want. And he thought that was the right moment, and boy, was it ever. We had an offensive lineman catch a touchdown. We had Bo Nix score a touchdown three different ways. And Noah Sewell scored a touchdown. Landing said he hadn't asked, but they just thought it would be good to put him in there. (laughs) I loved it. I loved all of it. It was fun. It was inventive. It was creative. They were explosive. Twelve different players caught a pass, including Bo Nix. So he spread it around to 11 different guys. And I sound like a broken record coming on here and saying, boy, I love... Did you see Kenny Dillingham's tweet? He put out a poll asking Duck fans what their favorite touchdown was of the week. That guy is feeling himself right now in ways that we have not seen before. That was an, I'd never seen that from a coach. And I thought it was pretty funny. And that is a testament to how great this offense is, how confident they are in this offense. And just like in the previous weeks, we're seeing the same sort of stuff, but we continue to see little twink, little tweaks, little wrinkles, little adjustments, how many different plays did they run from that 14J package? Sure, they've you know run the quick pin and pull power to to just you know run the rock, but we've seen a tight end sweep, we've seen a play action wheel, we've seen now a throw to an offensive lineman, we've seen a play action throw to a tight end who releases it at the last second against Washington State to Cam McCormick. Lots of different things from just that one formation, and it makes the defense think, keeps them off balance. And the other thing that's keeping offenses or keeping defenses off balance within this Oregon offense, we just keep spreading the ball around. Dante Thornton had a couple catches. Hope he's going to be okay. Don't know. I don't have an update for you at at this point in time as I record this on Sunday morning. But 
Dante Thornton got involved. Chase Coe didn't play. I'm glad he didn't. I want Coe to healthy for Washington and the receiving core again. Just a lot of different bodies. Patrick Herbert had a nice catch and run in the middle of the field. Terrence Ferguson, a few grabs. Chris Hudson, a big play. Troy Franklin, another good game. It's just everybody gets a piece. Reminds me of a call from the great Mariners broadcaster Dave Sims when Lloyd McClendon was out giving the umpires hell because they had just absolutely botched the situation with the Yankees. And he went to every single umpire because they, and he said, everybody gets a piece. He went to the home plate umpire, first base and third base umpire because they had all botched something in a single inning. And he got tossed and he was getting his money's worth. That's what this offense is. Every single person who's getting out there is getting involved. Again, we saw three running backs. I think James, I don't know if Jordan James was quite as involved. I'd have to double check the, the box score on that one. But you saw Sean Dollars get touches. You saw Noah Whittington. You saw Bucky Irving break a big run, have over $100 or 100 yards. <laughs> um, nice little Freudian slip of the tongue. I think that what we saw from the running game was good. It was not as good as I thought it would be. It was 195 yards on the ground. I thought this would be 300 or above, but at no point in time did I watch this offense, even though that was below my expectations statistically for the ground game, and think, boy, they're not running the ball very well. They're not doing this very well. It wasn't quite Stanford or Arizona level. Give Colorado some credit, but you ran for almost 200 yards at five yards a carry, and your starters were not in for the entire game. That's still really good. Like That's the standard that this ground game has set for Oregon, which is pretty amazing. Last two weeks, they've gone for 175 and 195 yards rushing. And I think we would all agree, those are like, in conference play, their two worst games running the ball this season. <laughs> like that's, that's an embarrassment of Rich's place to be if you're the Ducks, who have now got three games left in the regular season. There's Washington this week. I know that's going to fire up a lot of Duck fans. <laughs> it fires me up, too. It's a great rivalry. Always has been. Always will be. And Lanning's not hiding from it either, which I like. I like that he embraces it. Some coaches are, you know, a little bit more wishy-washy and like, oh, I don't know. I don't know it. And I know it's fat. Yeah, yeah. And Lanning's like, no, I know it's a rivalry. Or our fans feel that way. And we know we want to go out there, execute a high level, win the football game. Well, they keep doing that. And they are three wins away from going 9-0 in conference play. Can they do it? It's tough. It's it's tough. You, you've got three quality teams coming up where the margin for error is not quite as wide as, as Colorado and Cal. I thought you could get off to a slow start against Cal. I don't know if you can do that against mm, Utah, for instance, because Utah continues to play some good football, but uh, more on that coming later in the show. Offensively, Bo Nix is just awesome, man. And statistically, he's padding the Heisman stats. Gonzo should have had a pick six. Instead, they called him out at the two, which is interesting because neither the ball nor his foot nor his body was out of bounds. But, you know, Pac-12, what are you going to do? And I, I think offensively, they just do it in so many different ways. And Bo Nix is the undisputed leader there. And, and I like that there were moments in the game when Oregon's offense had some pre-snap penalties. And Bo Nix is upset. Bo Nix frustrated. And I think he's taking on a leadership role in a way that surpasses what some transfer quarterbacks are able to do. I'm not saying all of them, right? I think what I've seen from Penix at Washington this year has been really impressive in that sense. But sometimes a transfer comes in and he's just kind of there. But Bo Nix is is orchestrating the offense. He's the maestro. 
of this symphony. And it is playing in perfect harmony week in and week out. There's no other way to describe. They're the only team in the FBS to score 40 points in eight straight games. I don't know who's going to be the first to stop them. Oregon State or Utah, I don't know. Which of those defenses is more equipped to do it? It's probably Oregon State, frankly, because their secondary is really, really good. But their defensive line is also very not good. But that's all conversation and fodder for another day. I, I just, I continue to be impressed with this offense. And, and by the way, overall thoughts on this game. That's what we expected. That's what we wanted. I said there's no excuse for Colorado to get to 20 points. Well, guess what? They didn't. Backups, starters, didn't matter. Was it perfect? No, it was not. And I'll talk more about the defense after I talk to you about LinkedIn jobs. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain, 100% that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go create a free job post. Add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to let people know that you are hiring. Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one. That is numero uno in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Both of them, the terms and the uh, conditions. So the defense for Oregon was overall, I think, solid in this game. I didn't feel bad about it. I didn't feel amazing about it. I expected Colorado to have a drive or two where they move the ball. But I said, you shouldn't allow more than one touchdown. They didn't. You shouldn't allow more than 10 or 13 points. They didn't. And you look up and it's 49 to 10, which is what we were looking for, right? I think it's just important to keep that sort of stuff in mind because it's easy to get caught up in what they didn't do well. There were still areas for growth and Lanning continues to point that out because he sees what we see as well, which is the third down defense wasn't good. And you had a coverage bust that you shouldn't have had. But overall, like you can't expect the defense to play perfect every single week. And I thought they took some steps in the right direction here. They were once again good against the run. Colorado was 3.3 yards per carry. Don't care who you're going up against. That's a good number. The two areas, though, that we continue to talk about defensively, that, 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 they, that they've got to be better. They don't have to be dominant because this unit is clearly not capable of doing that. But they have to be better if you're going to win all three of these games because you're about to play, from what I've seen this year, three good football teams. Washington, Utah, Oregon State. Those are all good football teams. And they will present different sorts of challenges, as I'll talk about here on the show in the coming weeks. But you had no sacks against the Colorado offensive line. That's concerning. Like, are you that DJ Johnson dependent? I think we saw the impact he's had this year when he didn't play in this game, but you should have been able to get at least one sec. That's concerning. And they were 8 of 15 on third down. But the second part is really only there because of the first part. Third down defense comes down to a couple things. How do you perform on first and second down? So what sort of situations are you in? And then can you get pressure on the quarterback? And so I'm not that worried about the secondary per se, I'm worried about the defensive line and the pass rush. 
That's the only concern I have right now with the Oregon defense. If they get a pass rush, then the third down defense will take care of itself. What's been their best showing on third down this season? Cal. What did they do against Cal? They got a lot of pressure. They made Jack Plummer uncomfortable. They didn't give him time. Because if you've got third and six, if you've got third and seven, Oregon's given up more of those than you'd like to see this year. But if the quarterback's got a clean pocket, you can only cover for so long. You just can't ask that much of your defensive backs. And still, with all these concerns in mind, no sacks, poor third down defense again, you allowed 10 points on the road to a bad Colorado team. That's about what you should allow. That's about what you should allow. I think they did well. Let's get to some mailback questions. A lot of you have some uh, forward-thinking ones because I-, I think this game showed some good things for Oregon, but overall, are there a ton of takeaways? Eh, not really. I talked about on Lockdown Pack 12 today how I, I group each team into a-, a category winner, lean win, no opinion, lean lose, or loser in the week, reflective of how the fan base should be feeling. I had Oregon and no opinion because that's what the game should have looked like. It was never really close. It was on the road and... You know, there were a couple minor minor stumbles, but like you're never going to play a perfect game. And you look up and Ty Thompson got a couple series to go in and show once again that he's not ready to be a starting quarterback. So let's get to the mailbag. This is from Little Ray with four Ys on it. I don't know why the four Ys, but okay. Uh, Spence, great win against Colorado. Defense was great. But how does that targeting call on Jamal Hill affect the Washington game? And which of the next three for the Ducks do you think is the most challenging? So Jamal Hill picks up that targeting call in the second half, meaning he's out for the first half of the Washington game. Not ideal. Because remember, we learned earlier this year from Dante Manning's targeting call against Arizona, if you're called for targeting in the first half, then you are allowed to play at the start of the game the following week. It's not great. I don't know that it changes my perception of Oregon's pass defense immensely. I mean, we haven't heard a lot from Jamal Hill this year. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe because we haven't heard much from him, that's a testament to how well he's been playing. I don't have access to all 22 film to where I I can study that. But there is something to be said about if you're not having your name come up very often, notice Triquest Bridges hasn't been in uh, my conversations about the defense as much the last couple weeks, I think a testament to his improvement then usually that means a defensive back is playing pretty well because he's not getting picked on. He's not giving up big plays. Does it wildly concern me? And do I think the defense is going to be drastically different or drastically handcuffed without Jamal Hill there? No, I think you can replace his production. If, you know, put Bennett Williams in there, have Addison and Steven Stevens be the safeties with two corners. I think they've been playing so many guys there it's going to be an advantage. If it just means more Bennett Williams, then great, because I think Bennett Williams is better than Jamal Hill. Um, They they typically, I think, both play on the field pretty often, but I I think it's it's a loss for the defense. Hope it doesn't come come into play, but I don't feel that much different about the secondary now without him for a half uh, than I do with him out there. Not that he's not a solid player. He he is, but is he, you know, world beer? Like, I would feel worse if... Gonzo picked up a targeting. Okay, that would be a problem. That that would be a significant problem. Or if DJ Johnson picked up a targeting, right? Or Brandon Dorless. Those guys, Noah Sewell. That would be a problem. I think you can manage not having Jamal Hill for a half. Second part of his question, which of the next three for the Ducks do you think is the most challenging? I'm sticking with Utah. I am sticking with Utah. I watch Utah play pretty often. They're still a good football team. 
yeah, they they lost in the first week to Florida. They shouldn't have. Utah is still a good football team. They're still well coached. Their defense continues to play better. Their offense has got a lot of weapons. I I, I have not sold my Ute stock one bit. As of this moment, we'll see how they play. We'll, we'll see how that how they how they show up this week. I have confidence in the Ducks in this season. I still don't know about that Utah game next week. Not because I don't think Oregon's good. Because I think Utah is still a very good team. I think it should be a heck of a football game regardless. But of the three, I think that is the best team that Oregon faces down the stretch. You could argue the toughest individual matchup would be Oregon State because it's on the road and the Beavs have been really good at Research Stadium this year. However... Their game against Washington on Friday night, which was a great game, and the Beavs should have won, showed me something that gave me more confidence in the Ducks, and that was that that Oregon State front four is not good. They will not sack Bo Nix. They cannot get pressure. They could not get pressure on Michael Penix, and Bo Nix is more mobile than Penix, and Oregon's offensive line is the best in the Pac-12. Washington's is also pretty good. But that Oregon State front four, they've got no bodies there. Their secondary is legit, but the Ducks will be able to run on them pretty comfortably. But that secondary is very, very good. Um, but as I was talking about with Oregon earlier, a secondary can only be as good as they're capable of being if you've got a pass rush. And Oregon State saw that come to fruition on Friday night. Their secondary was playing lights out. They're really good, but you can't cover forever. You just can't. You have to be able to get pressure, make the quarterback uncomfortable, and they were they were really unable to do that. Uh, quick one here, uh, and I actually need to to double check the 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 slate of games so that I I am remembering correctly because I forgot to jot it down. But Anthony Kennedy asks, Hey Spencer, quick question: Do you think College Game Day will come back to Eugene in Week 12 when Utah comes to town? Week 12 doesn't have that many great games. I just see Illinois at Michigan or USC at UCLA. Thoughts go Ducks. So the slate in Week 12 is not particularly strong in the college football world. And I think Utah, Oregon could be a candidate for it if the Ducks are able to beat Washington this week. Illinois picked up a loss, so that one is out. The game that I would watch for, though, I, I don't know if they would double up on on coming to Eugene in favor of going to Los Angeles because I think that USC-UCLA game, USC's got Colorado this week. We know how that's going to go. UCLA has Arizona at home. We know how that is also probably going to go. It's hard to look at that with the allure of those two teams being the departure leaders for the Big Ten. Battle for Los Angeles, Lincoln Riley. That's a tough one to overcome. That's a that's a really tough one to overcome for game day, especially since they've already been to Eugene. He is right that the rest of the slate is not very good, and I I, I think Illinois, Michigan is definitely out of the conversation. They also already went to uh, an HBCU game this year, so I don't know if that would be a, a candidate if there's a big game on that slate. But they usually do that once a year, so. I wouldn't anticipate that being a roadblock, but if I'm game day, I go to Los Angeles because they want to hit as many different spots as you can. They went to Tennessee twice this year, but I, I don't think they necessarily 
would want that in a perfect world. So if they can justify going away from Eugene, not that they don't like Eugene, of course, Corso loves us. And, you know, it was a fantastic, amazing environment. Duck fans did a great job. But I just think locationally, the appeal of going to Los Angeles for that game is probably going to supersede, assuming both teams win this week, probably going to supersede the Ducks in Utah, though it would still be uh, one of the premier matchups in the country. Nick's got uh, a couple of questions that he wants answered, and I will answer them because I always do after I remind you this episode brought to you by Bet Online, your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every single game. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, Go Mariners, Forever and Always, MMA, Boxing, my personal favorite, Golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. And if you start going to work or any sort of social function with sweating issues, you got to check out Sweatblock. Here's a real customer review. Rebecca would watch her teenage daughter suffer through low self-esteem caused by embarrassing sweat. We've all felt it. It's a horrible place to be in. But Sweatblock is here for the rescue. Rebecca got a text after her teen's first use of Sweatblock. I'm not sweating. They both cried tears of joy. Because that sort of anxiety, no one should have to feel that. And Sweatblock, developed by a doctor to deal with his own sweating and body odor issues, is something you've got to check out. Sweatblock wipes are your little secret to confidence. Sweatblock wipes work for up to seven days per use. Yeah, they're that good. Apply on a Sunday and you'll stay dry all week. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or odor, try Sweatblock. Save 20% with promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. Also available on Amazon. All right, back into the mailbag here. Nick P on YouTube. You know how to ask or ask questions here on the show and I always answer them whenever you send them in. I appreciate you all sending them in and I love having you be a part of the conversation. And this came via the YouTube comments. You can also hit me up on Twitter at small underscore 55, which coach other than Dilly do you think might be the surprise coach to leave Oregon for another job uh, this off season? Second question, what player of the 2023 recruiting class Maybe the lower star variety, but do you think might be the best of the group in the future? So I'll start with the first question. And I think there's that there there are certainly a couple of candidates, and you have to expect that when you win at a high level, other schools are going to come calling, offer them more money, offer them a bigger title, a bigger role on the staff, and say, Hey, we want you to to come to this. I think the guy to watch for would be Junior Adams. Because look at what he's done with Troy Franklin. He's helped to make the sophomore leap, and this being his first year coaching him. He's got a deep receiving core. You could also look at maybe the tight ends coach, uh, Drew Maringer, I believe is his name, and he has done a great job with that unit. But Junior Adams' title is wide receivers coach and co-offensive coordinator, if I am not mistaken. And I will double check that right now so that we can, uh, you know, strive to be as accurate as possible. But he is the wide receivers coach and co-offensive coordinator. When you have that in your title for an offense is putting up 40 plus points a game, even when you're not the play caller, you'll probably draw some interest from somewhere. He's also known as a good recruiter and staffs everywhere and schools across the country are always looking to add good recruiters to their staff. I think that that's that's the guy who jumps out to me 
as someone other than than Dilly who who would draw interest from another school. I don't think he'd necessarily be a head coach, but you know, if a Power Five school like I don't know Colorado, for instance, came along and say they go in a different direction with with their staff or Arizona State maybe, and you know they're looking for an OC. If you offer him a play calling position, you offer him more money. It's an offer that he's obviously going to consider, and how can you blame him? So that, that's the guy that jumps out pretty quickly to me as, as someone who could get poached this offseason. That'll be uh, stuff we can discuss when the offseason comes around, because that's not for a while. Oregon's got probably five games left. Hard to see them losing two of these three and, and missing the Pac-12 championship game. So three, the championship game, and then a bowl game. Uh, five games left, but still not enough. Still feels like there's not there are not enough games. The second part of his question, which of the lower lower recruited guys could could maybe pop? I think there I think there's one of two and and the opportunity is there for for this to happen once they once they get on campus and become enrolled at the University of Oregon. I think of the three star guys, you know, lower rated in in this group. Uh, and the recruiting class, by the way, currently sits at 11th in the country, according to 24-7, which is, uh, you know, pretty darn good, right where the Ducks would like to be. I think either Tatum Tuioti or Jaden Moore. And the reason I say that is because after this year, you're going to lose DJ Johnson. Mace Funa maybe comes back. Let me double check if he's got another year of eligibility. I, I think he could have another one, but... He's been, yeah, he's listed as a junior right now, so he he's probably back. But still, that position overall is just going to have an opportunity. And for a recruiter as a true freshman to pop, sometimes what he needs is to be at a position where you don't have a tremendous amount of talent and depth. And Oregon's bringing in a lot of defensive linemen and edge players in this 2023 recruiting class. And I look at Tuioti and Moore, both have good size and, you know, maybe need to work on a couple fundamental things, get a little bit stronger, be a little bit more explosive. But ultimately what you need is is a chance, right? Like coming into this year, if you'd asked me a question about, you know, what uh, what what kind of under-recruited or three-star recruit for the Ducks could, could maybe pop, I wouldn't have picked an offensive lineman because there's no opportunity to see the field. But defensive line for next year, any of those guys could see the field. Uh, you, you could move Dorless back inside and take a, take away some edge snaps there. If Well, no, Dorless is going to leave after this year. My bad. But you're not going to have Jordan Riley anymore. So there will be a lot of movement on on that defensive line. I think you look at names like Amari Washington and, and Terrence Green and and say that they they could have a chance too. But those are also you know pretty highly coveted guys, both, both four stars. But I, I think that... The, the edge position in particular is such an important one because when I'm talking about pass rush, it's got to come off the edge. It just doesn't come off up the middle as much unless you have a ridiculously dominant player like Eric Armstead or DeForest Buckner. And I don't think Oregon's got that on, on their roster right now. Maybe they will. Maybe one of those four-star defensive linemen, defensive tackles can turn into that sort of player. But I, I'd look at those two and the opportunity they'll have to come in and play right away and, and compete for playing time right away. You know, you've got Anthony Jones, who I think got in uh, for, for a few snaps against Colorado and, and made a nice play. Maybe he pops next year. A um, lot, lot of names to watch at, at that particular position, but that's why I, I lead those two is because of the playing time. Keep the questions coming. You know I love to answer them and talk to you all here on the show. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.